Are you the kind of person that is really struggling with worrying about what's to come, things that you have no control over, constantly feeling this knot in your stomach because you are worrying and something bothers you? Then today's episode is perfect for you. Hello everybody and welcome back to Neurodiversity Support Podcast. I'm your host Annika a local neurodivergent and neurodiversity specialist. Today we're speaking about something very sticky and something that touches many of us and that is anxiety. Now for us to properly speak about anxiety within neurodivergence, we need to really understand how does anxiety differ between neurotypicals and neurodivergence. Now within a neurotypical brain, anxiety looks a little bit different and the reason for that is because the way they respond Bonding to stimuli is a little bit different than the neurodivergent. So, what does anxiety look like? Anxiety can be categorized between cognitive responses and physical responses, somatic responses. To some degree, everybody worries about crime. How is crime going to impact me? As a female driving in South Africa, there is a certain normal level of worrying about being hijacked, being Um, a victim of smash and grab, that is a normal level of worry about crime within South Africa. And normal would be me considering if somebody is trying to smash and grab my car or trying to hijack me, being aware of my surroundings, but I'm still present in the moment and I'm still able to enjoy my favorite song on the radio. But anxiety is going beyond the level of normality when it comes to worrying, worrying to such an extent that you're not able to have pleasant thoughts, that you're not able to enjoy your favorite song on the road, um, favorite song on the radio because you are so concerned with the probability of you maybe being hijacked or the probability of you maybe getting into a car accident or the probability of the lady coming to hijack you without you realizing it. So then you lock and unlock the car. Oh, make sure that the doors, windows are all shut. Make sure that the, the doors are locked. Constantly worrying. And then to add to it is that the worrying is mostly unwarranted, meaning there wasn't a previous bad experience with hijacking or family member being hijacked. Oh, there's a ho trying to attack my camera. That there is no trigger, there is no probable cause for you being so worried about hijacking. And that is where anxiety is this worrying that is without probable cause, without triggers. And it's also a very nice uh, symptom of it is when you're worrying about the fact that you're worrying. Like, why am I worrying so much? Why can't I just be normal? That is anxiety. Now, somatic responses looks like this. Let's talk from the head down. Somatic responses would be having this tension headache that's just pounding or and some people even say that it feels like there's heat just blazing out of the top of their head or you could have dizziness or you could have vision problems that could be starry-eyed like you see the twinkles or blurry, blurry vision or even having tunnel vision. That is from anxiety without having any triggers to bring that about. It's not your low blood sugar. It's not that I haven't eaten. It's not that I've got the long, wrong grasses on. These are anxiety responses without triggers. Um, let's talk about the throat. A lot of people that have anxiety 
um, report they have really difficult time swallowing as if there's a lump just blocking their swallowing. Some people even feels like they're swallowing knives because their throat is so ana. That is an anxious response, especially if you've gone through a, a very anxious induced day, anxiety inducing day, and then the next morning you wake up with this blady feeling of cuts in your throat. That's an anxiety response. Let's talk about our heart palpitations. That's when our heart is beating way too fast and you can feel the pounding of your heart even when you're supposed to be relaxing. Breathing, shortness of breath, or the feeling that somebody is pushing on your chest, crushing you. is really a feeling of being smothered, pushing on your chest and your back. Lots of people speak about that being a very scary feeling. Tightness of the neck and shoulders when you feel the anxiety in your muscles. Um, what else? Hot flushes, getting sweaty and hot and just generally uncomfortable and, and, and antsy. That's the way I always say you feel antsy, like just bothered, hot and bothered. And then we also have the unfortunate constant feeling that there's a knot in your stomach and this, your tummy hurts and it's just a little bit of ache and you're not sure why. Those are somatic responses to anxiety. Now, if I, as a neurotypical, excuse me, as a neurodivergent, <clears throat> I'm in a coffee shop and I'm very relaxed. There's three people in the coffee shop. I managed my sensory input quite well. I picked my table really nicely. I'm very far away from the counter where the waitresses talk to the kitchen and bring their plates. I'm, I'm perfectly seated. And then a couple comes to sit next to me. And so, the person that is making his tea next to me starts stirring his cup a little bit too long. And that stirring goes clink, 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 as he's stirring his tea. And without realizing that that stimulation is giving me sensory overload, my heart starts to beat faster. And I start to look around at them the whole time. And I start getting a little sweaty under my collar and I start shifting a little bit in my seat. And then I try to ignore it. I'm trying to read my book. And then his wife takes a bite of her cake and she starts eating, but she doesn't close her mouth. And she's going, while she's chewing and the husband is stirring his tea. And then I start getting hot. I start taking my jacket off. I'm very uncomfortable in my chair all of a sudden. And my tummy starts tightening. Now I don't want to eat my sandwich anymore. I don't feel so lacquer. Now, if I was a neurotypical, excuse me, Yes, if I was neurodivergent, thinking I was neurotypical, undiagnosed for many years and experiencing that type of response to sensory input, when I go to my GP as an undiagnosed neurodivergent and I say, something is wrong with me, dude, I get headaches all the time, I've always got this tightening in my tummy, I've got tightness in my neck all the time, I feel tired, I feel like there's this chest pains. Whenever you say chest pains, either heart attack or anxiety, that's always what the response is to when you say you have chest pains. Or I say, I'm, I've got heart flashes and I feel irritable. Then automatically the GP thinks and recommends that you go and see if you have anxiety and then you're going to be on calming tablets of some sort. Or if you say that you are naturalist, they'll give you the natural version of calming tablets. But the key was, had I known 
I'm neurodivergent, I would have understood why my brain is responding to that loudness the way that it is. Those somatic responses and cognitive responses, because once I'm in sensory overload, I no longer can read my book. I'm reading that same sentence over and over and my logical brain is gone. I can't think anymore. I can't concentrate anymore because I'm being overloaded by my sensory input. Now, if you are neurodivergent walking around undiagnosed, you are constantly having these anxiety responses to sensory input that is an actual trigger to those sensory inputs that you're not actually having anxiety, but you are actually having a nervous, your nervous system is perceiving the sensory input as a threat and responding within the reptilian brain and saying, this is a a threat to us as a body. Let us come out of the state of homeostasis and let's actually respond as if we're going to fight, flight or freeze. That is why my heart starts beating. That is why I get sweaty because my muscles are getting ready for me to run away to flight because my brain is perceiving that huge noise, the and the teacup that's being stirred too much as an actual threat. And so we can see how a normal health professional that's not considering neurodiversity may misunderstand the symptoms to be an anxiety disorder because it's so, so, so close to one another. Having that type of uh, unprovoked anxiety, somatic responses or cognitive responses, I can't concentrate when these things happen because we are unable to identify it's our neurodiversity brain recognizing certain sensory inputs or certain social interactions as being an actual life or death threat because that's what's happening in the brain. And if that statement doesn't make too much sense and you'd like me to unpack, you could actually go and listen to our podcast where we speak about upshifting and managing our sensory input as a neurodivergent because that helps a lot to understand upshifting. So if I am neurodivergent and I struggle with anxiety, meaning I struggle with a constant response to perceived threat. Now anxiety, I'm just going to remind you, anxiety within a neurotypical is without probable cause, without trigger. But in neurodivergence, it's not technically anxiety anymore because it is it with a trigger. We do have a trigger. We are being sensory overloaded. Am I denying that neurodivergence do suffer with anxiety disorder? Obviously not, not at all. I'm just speaking on a very basic level of how neurodivergence process their environment and how it presents as anxiety sometimes, right? Most times. So so as a neurodivergent at home, what would anxiety symptoms look like? That would be my intense desire to have my house in order, to have the books color coordinated, to have all the large pans together in a certain way with the handle sticking in a certain way, the desire to have my house completely ridden, rid, rid, of any dust particles is that a realistic desire not quite because can Annika herself sprinkle in a house every single day also no this is impossible I used to develop little things that people used to say that's OCD because I was managing my anxiety 
that came about from my neurodiversity that felt anxious when things were in disarray. When I hang up my washing and all the socks pairs are not hanging together and I have to take it down and I can't find the pairs easily, that gives me anxiety responses because I perceive it as a life or death threat. This is frustrating. I can't get it right. My heart starts beating. My head starts getting a little bit dizzy. All my life I said I had low blood pressure because I was always fainting, always dizzy. But it was because I was having such intense anxious responses to simple things because I perceive those things as threats. So when people walk dirt into my house when they don't take off their shoes because I have a no-shoe policy in the home, that gives me an actual physical anxious response. My heart starts beating, I start getting sweaty, I start feeling this tightness on my chest and in my stomach because I see the dirt as a threat, because my ADHD brain is now saying, now I have to clean that, which means I have to mop the whole house, which means I have to... And so cognitively, I'm then paralyzed with all the reasons why I should worry about this threat being a small little bit of mud being threatened into my house. Do you know what I mean? But how can I manage that? What can I do to manage that type of response? Is to say to myself and to be realistic and say, this is not life or death. We don't need to respond like this to mud being taken into them. Ach man, we can just mop this one section. The whole house hasn't now been tainted because the voorkamerki got a little dirty. We can just sweep and mop this area. That's okay. The rest of the house is still clean. This person didn't go to the rest of the house. That type of upshifting dialogue that we do in our prefrontal cortex, in our logical brain, is going to help us to upshift so that we get out of the reptilian brain, so that we can go back to a state of homeostasis where our brain is no longer just ejaculating adrenal hormones and saying, we're under attack, there's a threat, we're going to die, fight for flight. We don't want to be in that state. We want to be in a very calm state and say, this is okay. Now, let's, let's shift over to an, a neurodivergent student that struggles with anxiety. There's a test. And this is why I don't like to use the word anxiety because, because anxiety implies that there is no trigger. But with neurodivergence, there is a trigger. We know when we write exams, it's difficult for us because we struggle to concentrate, we struggle to write, we struggle to communicate our complex thoughts in a chronicle way that somebody else can understand. We struggle to sit still for long periods of time. We struggle with imposter syndrome, thinking that we're not going to be able to do well, even though we know the content quite well etc. The list is endless. So we have a lot of anxiety around exams. Um, so what we could do when we're studying for exams and we as neurodivergent need timetables. We need this to start at that time and we're going to study this at that time. We're going to do this at that time. But the awkward thing about that is as a neurodivergent, your attention doesn't always align with that timetable. It's You're not always ready to study for two hours at three o'clock on Monday morning because your attention is not ready at that time. So then there's a need for a change. But if we do change the timetable, that is then perceived as a threat. And then you start feeling anxious and you can't accept the change because we were supposed to do it that way, in this way. And you start going into a cognitive anxious spiral where you're like, now everything's ruined. I don't know where I am. Must have started studying from the beginning of the chapter now. I don't know where I am anymore. That is how anxiety breeds up in a neurodivergent brain because now you're in a cognitive spiral there thinking about all kinds of things 
and then you start wondering about your clothes and the washing and then all the neuropathways are now activated and everything's a threat. To avoid that, what we do is we create little dialogues for ourselves to accept change. To say, oh, the reason why we have to change our timetable is because we are seeking perfection. We are um, prioritizing quality over quantity because if we carry on with this, then it's going to cause us not to be ready to study everything. So you then become the referee within your own brain and you are negotiating with yourself and encouraging yourself and saying, this is not a threat, this is actually a very good thing for us to do. We're actually making a wise decision. So then you take away the power from the, I'm perceiving a threat, I'm going into the part of my nervous system that's going to release the adrenaline. We're taking away the power from that neuropathway and we're reshifting it into the dopamine neuropathway where there's rewards. And we're saying, we're doing this because we're going to do better. We're going to get better marks and then we're going to achieve our goals much better. So you just have to be very cognitive, <laughs> very conscious about how you dialogue these things within your brain because you're having a full conversation with yourself in there so that you can. Take away the power from the I'm perceiving a threat neuro pathway to, oh, I'm going to have a better reward if I change my timetable to suit my attention abilities. Do you know what I mean? So, having those upshifting dialogues is key, key, key. At work, a, a neurodivergent has so much anxiety about not being on par with their peers because we are comparing ourselves with neurotypicals which is not fair at all so what that would look like is saying oh is my work the same as these am I even as good as the other person I don't even think I should apply for the promotion because I don't um, work as well as the others that type of cognitive anxiety in the workplace all the time is my boss angry with me because I forgot that meeting for one second and then came two seconds late so what happens is to mitigate that anxiety, many people develop workaholic, toxic work habits where they work too hard, too long because they're trying to prove their worth to be, if not on par with the neurotypicals a little bit more because of that imposter syndrome. And that is a very terrible thing that neurodivergence do. is quite unhealthy because they're trying to compensate for the fact that they feel they're not meeting the mark for coming to meetings on time, doing presentations as well, writing your reports as well, etc. So what we can do then is the same thing, the same upshifting dialogue is saying, no man, this is not the case. You are working hard. You haven't gotten into trouble. Your boss hasn't frowned at you for more than five months. He's clearly happy. We can even write to him and ask him, are you happy? Do Should I change things? But you don't need to work. 10 o'clock at night to prove your worth because you are worthy and you are working very hard and you are unique and that's what they want from you you know the dialogue we're just shifting i'm not going to go into this is a threat i need to start worrying about this with our probable cause but to pull it away and say no we are working well our differences is what makes us important or makes us special to go down the reward neuro pathway so we can stimulate some dopamine so Anxiety is very difficult, especially when you are visiting a health professional that's not necessarily considering your neurodiversity. You can be 
misdiagnosed with anxiety disorders when it's actually just um, the neurodiversity that needs to be addressed as the root cause for receiving stimuli from your environment as threats and responding as such. I hope that makes a lot of sense to you and I hope that that helps you to manage your anxiety as a neurodivergent even as a neurotypical, because a neurotypical can also manage the anxiety with some very good upshifting. I hope you have a lucky day, and I hope that you're able to join. Our, I hope you can join our neurodiversity support group on Facebook and join our community so that we can continue to build our narratives and rewrite our narratives as South Africans within. In, oh my word, I'm so tongue twisted. I hope you can join us on neurodiversity support group so that we can together rewrite the neurodivergent narrative of South Africa one interview at a time and if you would like to be the next person that we interview please visit neurodiversitysupport.co.za and suggest yourself as the next guest on our podcast. I hope to see you next week. Next week, we're going to be speaking about rejection sensitivity disorder, which is a very touchy one for all neurodivergence out there. Have a lucky day, everybody. Bye.